we have been in the book of Jude, and we have particularly landed on Jude 21, and we felt that this is one of those verses you land and linger on, and it says to keep yourselves in the love of God. That doesn't mean you keep him loving you. It means you keep yourselves in the experience and in the daily relationship of his great love. That's good, isn't it? He loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. And we are to keep ourselves in that love. And so I wanted these five individuals, and give your name before you share if you would, to just, uh, I just simply have one question for them. And they're going to answer briefly. How have you experienced God's love? And as they share, your experience will be different. This is just to give you a sampling. The Bible says that we overcome by the word of our testimony. Blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. It's good to hear the testimony of people and how they have walked out, how they are walking out. They're not perfect. They've not arrived. None of us have. But I think each of them have a little bit of an, in their journey of how they've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and I want you to hear from that. Good morning. I'm Mark Benson. When I think about where I've experienced God's love in my life, it's obvious that he was with me during times of great difficulty. You know, the, the closing of a business, the loss of a loved one, the loss of a child, the end of a, a marriage. You know, God was, God was obviously with me during those times and comforted me. I can remember riding down the road when I had the final conversation with my first wife about, you know, and I knew that I knew that I knew that it was over. I took my phone back in those days, we had a bag phone with a big handset and I, I threw it into the dash of my new truck. And I said, I will never let anyone have my heart again, not even you, God. And he kind of said, whatever. And, uh, you know, maybe he just loved me. And so, so that obviously is not true. And that's, so he's always been with me in times of difficulty, but he's really shown me his love when I have seeked him and sought him and sought his face. And I can recall uh, the men's advance that we attended last uh, spring. And I was invited into a session where we were ushered into a conversation with God and experience with God. And, it, you know, there was, I, I had some guilt and shame from some of the uh, four things I mentioned that had kept a lid on me, on me, just on my ability to share, on my ability to just function in life. Um, there was a, a lid on me. And, you know, in my flesh, that's still on me today. I mean, you can't live something for 40 years and, and it not be in your flesh. But I know in my knower, as Pastor David says, that, that those things are not true of me anymore and they're not, they're not holding me down. So I'm, I'm slowly stepping out of those things. But uh, in this experience, they said, all right, ask God to show you his face. And so I asked God to show me his face. And I'm not seeing his face, and I'm not seeing his face. And it seemed like an eternity went by, and I'm not seeing his face. And I'm like, well, something's wrong with me. I guess God doesn't love me. And, and then my focus, almost as I said that to God, my focus came clear, and I could see that I was seeing just a portion of his face, just a sliver like just from the hairline to his to his eye, and I could see his face, and you know, and uh, of course, you know, the spirit overwhelmed me, and and I realized that what I was there to discuss with him, and to give to him, and to be healed from, he had healed me from from just seeing a portion of his face, just a portion of his face, and now I'm walking in that freedom and learning to walk in that freedom. Man, so I'm Angela Patterson. And intellectually, I believed in God's love, but in experience, I was living a performance-based life, kind of on a legalistic treadmill of trying to keep all the rules, 
to earn God's love and acceptance. And then in early 2018, um, I came here, Pastor David preached a message referencing Zephaniah 3.17. And though I had read the Bible through numerous times, for some reason I'd just never seen the verse. I don't know how that happened. But he said something like, God loves you so much he's singing his love song over you. And I thought, that cannot be true. That can't be in the Bible. And I had to read it out of my own Bible for myself. And as I began to embrace that and accept by faith that that was true for me too, and that I didn't actually have to earn God's love, then it opened up the true meaning of grace. And as grace opened up, it brought worship, and my life has never been the same. So God's love is truly the key that turns the lock on all of our hearts because we love him only because mm. he first loved us. That's good. Amen. I'm Lisa Chambers. I look back and see myself as a teenager sitting on a rock on a mountain behind our house, consciously seeking the presence of God. And he met me there. Fast forward to Steve and I married as children, 19 years old. <laughs> the Lord was very present there. Raising three sons, a challenge, kept us on our knees. The Lord was truly present. Turning aside from my own efforts to be, to live up to what I thought the Lord God Almighty would have me be. And also I was trying to live up to what my wonderful dad um, deserved as a daughter. I came to the place where it was marvelous to understand that it wasn't at all about my living up to anything. It was all about what Jesus had already done for me and how very much he loves me and is sufficient for me in all things. So going forward through things like a son who enlisted in the military at the age of almost 40 and became a Green Beret and was in Afghanistan, the Lord God Almighty would wake me up in the night mm -hmm. and I would know to hit my knees praying for him. God was very present revealing his love to me. Then standing beside um, my sister who was hooked up to life support and it fell to me to make the decision when to disconnect all of that. The Lord was very present in that. And so I stood with one of her sons and prayed over her and sang, we sang over her as she breathed her last breaths. And then one year ago, the thing that I thought I could not endure came to be that my precious sweetheart husband of 61 years went to the Lord. And I said, Father, 
I cannot do this. I cannot go on without him. But you know what? I haven't been alone one day since he left because the Lord God Almighty has lifted me. I have had to cry out to him over and over. I can't do this, Lord. Carry me. And he constantly carries me. So has he shown his love to me? <laughs> oh, yes. And he will continue to carry me by his grace. Good. Amen. Hello, my name is Deborah Davis. And <laughs> my name is Deborah Davis. And um, the Lord showed me his love through provision. I came here from St. Louis, Missouri, and um, at first it was hard for me to find a place to live in Georgia, and I was alone and didn't know my way or anything, but the Lord blessed, and I found a place in Athens, and then um, after I found the place, I only had a blow-up mattress and TV stand, and my laptop. So for a while, I would, well, every day I would wake up, and the Lord would, I would begin to pray, and he would lead me to go in each room of my apartment and anoint it. And every day I got up, and I anointed each room, each wall, because I didn't have anything in there. And the Lord blessed me little by little, to get everything I needed. But during that time, it was the time of the pandemic, and I um, was in, and I wanted to go to church. So I was on my laptop looking for some place to go, and it led me on Lexington, but down the street. And I was looking for a church, and no church was open. Then I came to this church, and it was open. I pulled up on the lot and got out the car, and everyone that I met was so nice. And they were so friendly and smiling and speaking and hugging me. And I said, something's wrong here. This must be a cult. And, and I said, and I went to class, and I told them that I would be back. And I said, Lord, I don't know if you want me to come back here. And I went down the street. I, as I left, I drove down the street to get on the highway and almost had a head-on collision. And I said, I knew it. Mm -mm, I'm not going back there. <laughs> I said, no. So it, as time went on, I went up to the church in uh, a church in Buford. And during this time, when I came, they gave me this card to fill out. I filled it out and gave it back. And I began to get letters just about every week. And I said, who is this? And I read and I remembered this church. And it was one Sunday, I mean, one Saturday, I was, um, one Saturday I was at home and I was so tired of not being in church. I said, Lord, I want a church and I want a church by me. And... I opened up my laptop and 
reading my messages, and I seen a letter from here that said, hi, it's been two years, and we miss you. And I've been here ever since. Amen. Amen. Well, hi, my name is Lucius. My story's a little bit different. Um, this was quite some time ago, and um, I had recently gotten saved, and my former wife left me with a newborn and a two-year-old. Needless to say, I was devastated, and every night I'd put the children to bed and go in my bedroom, fall on my knees, and basically cry. And after, after a while, I was doing that every night. I cried out, and I said, God, I can't do it anymore. I, I just can't do it. And not a, a word I could hear with my ears, but in my spirit, I heard, good. I was waiting for you to say that. Mm. I can take over if you'll let me. And then I sensed like arms going around me and holding me. And I just cried some more. <laughs> but I've been a crybaby ever since, and uh, God has been faithful ever since. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Let's give him a hand. Thank you, guys. Wow. So I don't know if you noticed a common theme but many of the things that they shared was through difficulty. The very thing that the enemy would want to use to tell you God doesn't love you is actually the very incident that God wants to show up and show you his great love. The very thing that we go through that the enemy will want to use against you and against God and say to you he doesn't love you because that difficulty, that tragedy, that hardship, that pain, that illness, that divorce, that whatever is the very place God wants to show up. And that's why the power of testimony is so strong. That's why being in a strong church is so important because when you hear these stories and you know there's people here you can go to when you find yourself in that situation, there's support, there's love, there is camaraderie. There's a sense in which you see what God brought them through and it can encourage you. So let's review what we learned last week. We saw last week that we keep ourselves in the love of God by first just knowing the truth of his love. And if you missed last week, I encourage you to listen because I just gave so many scriptures and so many points about what his love looks like. Two, it's praying for a revelation of his love. Pray the prayer in Ephesians 3 that Paul prayed. Third, it's accepting by faith what he says. Fourth, it's working through issues that hinder you from accepting God's love. Some of you have things in your past. Some of you have hardships and barriers and roadblocks that, again, the enemy would want to use to say to you, he doesn't love you. And it's the very thing that if you will press through, if you will work through, if you will fight the fight of faith, that can be the very thing that ignites his love in a new way in your life. Number five, truly accepting forgiveness for your sins because the greatest demonstration of the love of God is Jesus coming, shedding his blood, 
purchasing your salvation, bearing the wrath of God, this is the central place where God shows up and shows his love is the cross of Jesus, which means he died for every sin you have committed, you are committing, or you will commit. There is no sin that you've committed or will commit or are committing now that wasn't paid for by Jesus at the cross. Amen? And so you've got to accept that. It takes humility to accept God's love through the cross for your sins. All right, so number six. And again, I'm seeking to make this as practical as possible because to keep ourselves in the love of God, we need help in how to do that. And number six is this, replace lies with truth. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 5. Replacing lies with truth. Someone came up to me last Sunday and said how much the message meant to them. And then he, and he said, but I'm struggling because there, there are statements that have been made to me by my parents that I still have trouble getting out of my mind. You're not good enough. You'll never amount to anything. You're such an idiot. You blew it again. We're so embarrassed by you. You're an embarrassment to the family. These, these shaming, condemning statements made by his parents or by those in authority, and they planted in his mind, went down into his spirit and into his psyche, and it brought damage to him and make it hard for him to accept God's truth. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, hallelujah, but have divine power. Say divine power. Divine. To destroy strongholds, we destroy arguments. Folks, those are arguments that are happening right here in your head. And every lofty opinion or vain imaginations raised up against the knowledge of God, and therefore we need to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The NIV says, make your thoughts obey Christ. Listen, here's the way it works. You have a parent. You have an authority figure. You have a teacher. You have a pastor. You have people that maybe have said things to you about your identity. They planted in your mind. Those are lies, just like I mentioned earlier. And those lies cause you to not believe the truth about yourself. Listen, nothing's more true about you than what God's Word says about you. What God says about you trumps anything else. However, we have a hard time receiving those truths because we are blocked by these lies, these statements made by others that we have believed. We've convinced ourselves they're true, and they're in our mind, they're in our heart, they're in our spirit, they're in our psyche, and therefore God's truth is coming at us, but we don't receive it. Now, the key to this is identifying those lies and replacing them with truth. Half the battle is identifying things that are going on in your mind that are not according to God's Word, and I suggest you write them down. When you have thoughts in your mind that cause you to struggle in whatever way, write them down. Have a three-by-five card in front of you. Have something in you. Put it in your phone, in your notes section. Write it down, and then measure it up against the Word of God. Okay? So you have this thought in your mind. And you're not sure if it's of God or if it's of Satan or if it's of the flesh. You're not sure if it's true or it's false. Write it down. Then put it up against the Word of God and see which is true. Let me give you some examples. And if the shoe fits, wear it. This may be prophetic for some of you. I will never amount to anything. 
Some of you have had that said to you, and you believe it. But that one, you can quickly, by the way, and if you're ever doubting whether it's consistent with the word, go to somebody who knows God better than you and let them analyze it. But this one, clear as a bell, that is false. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Your mommy, your daddy, your boss, your teacher, you went to a school, whatever, and this was said to you, and and you are believing it to this day, it's time to fight the fight of faith. Paul said, I have run the race, I have finished the course, I have fought the fight of faith. Faith is a fight sometimes. Okay, I said last week, Jesus didn't die and shed his blood for you to, to live in condemnation, guilt, and shame. He didn't die, he wasn't flogged and crucified for you to lie in condemnation, shame, and guilt. He died to set you free, hallelujah. And the truth will set you free, and especially the truth about who you are. And the Bible says you can do all things. How about this one? I am unworthy and ugly. Women, some of you that have maybe been through sexual trauma, it's caused you to believe that that was done to you because you deserved it. That is a lie. You are not ugly. You are not unworthy. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. By the God of the universe. Hallelujah. And that's despite your weight. That's despite your shape and size and all that other stuff that the world wants to say to you, no, you're this and that unless you look like this person who's been airbrushed anyway. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. How about this one? I don't deserve good. Well, God says that the Father gives good gifts to his children. How about this one? It's my fault. Now, I want to stop here because many people who live in abusive relationships where they allow themselves to be abused believe this lie. That person's abusing me because of something I have done. I really deserve to be abused. I really don't deserve to be treated well. And so they have no self-respect, and they continue to allow themselves to be abused because they think it's always their fault because the abuser will say that to them. That's a lie. That's a lie. The Bible says that it's not your fault, and if that, in fact, if it is, and we have all sinned, then Jesus died for the sin, all of the sin, and I am in the righteousness of Jesus once I've accepted that forgiveness. Because God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So once you begin to believe who you are in Christ, that person begins to mistreat you. You all of a sudden have the strength and the stamina and the godly self-confidence to say, I don't deserve to be treated that way. And I'm not going to put up with it. You're not doing the abuser a favor by allowing them to continue to abuse you and you not stand up for yourself in the proper way. You're enabling. Love sometimes has to do the hard thing. Tough love. Speak the truth in love. And sometimes if you're in an abusive relationship, you might need to remove yourself from the situation so that you don't allow the person to continue to abuse you. How about this one? I deserve to continually feel terrible because, and you fill in the blank. You know, I've blown it. I'm such an idiot. I'm, I'm just such a terrible Christian. 
That ought to be another one of the lies. I'm such a terrible Christian. I blew it again. I don't deserve to feel, I, I deserve to feel terrible because, and you fail to go to the cross with it because it says Jesus forgives and gives me his righteousness. Christ forgives all my sin. And if I bring it to the cross, it is not only forgiven, it's thrown as far as the east is from the west. And he says, I remember your sins no more. I'm telling you, when you begin to believe the truth about who you are, it will set you free. And how about this one? I'm not loved. We know that's a lie. Because God not only loves you, he likes you. You say, whoa, 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 likes me, yes. You don't sing over somebody you don't like. In Zephaniah 3.17, as Angela says, says he rejoices over you with singing. Furthermore, he likes you so much, he wants to spend eternity with you. You don't want to live inside of somebody and live with them forever and have them live with you forever if you don't like them. So he not only loves you, he likes you. This is not some pop psychology to make you feel good today. This is the truth of God's word. And when you believe it, and you accept it, and you allow it into your spirit, I'm telling you, it'll set you free. So some of you need to go to work this week, identify those thoughts in your head, and really evaluate them on the basis of whether they are true or whether they are lies. Replace lies with truth. Practical way to keep yourselves in the love of God. Number seven, I'm going to have fun with this one. Identify your spiritual love language, hang with me, and work it into the rhythm of your walk with God. Many of you are aware that Gary Chapman, a number of years ago, wrote a book called Love Languages, Five Love Languages. How many of you are familiar with the five love languages? By the way, anybody in a marriage, anybody married, needs to know these because they will transform your marriage. Those five love languages are words of affirmation, physical touch, acts of service, gifts, and quality time. So basically what he suggests, and it's been transformative for couples, learn the love language of your spouse and speak it on a regular basis, whether it comes natural to you or not. Transformative. Well, uh, he also wrote a book called The Love Languages of God. And in this book, he says this, great statement. I'm convinced that each of us has a primary love language. This is in relation to God, not humans. And when we listen to God in our heart language, we will experience His love most intimately. What's he saying there? I think he's saying something profound. In other words, we're all wired different. Just as you have a physical DNA, you have a spiritual DNA. And that can be similar to your personality type, introvert, extrovert, a lot of stuff here. But I believe we all have a spiritual DNA. And the way that we relate to God is unique to us. And so Dustin might connect with God in, in a certain way, different than I connect with God. Neither is better or worse. It's just different. And so what I have done is I have taken some of these concepts in another book that Brooks Lamont introduced me to called Sacred Pathways by Gary Thomas. Now, if you want more on this, Brooks is the expert on this. But I took both of these and I combined them into what I'm calling 10 spiritual love languages. So hang with me, and I think this is going to be incredibly practical for you. And as I go through these, I want you to kind of circle the ones that you kind of resonate with. Number one is this, nature. And oh, by the way, before we get into these, let me say this. There are certain things that we are all to do in our walk with God. We're all to be in the Word, right? We're all to be in prayer. We're all to worship. We're all to obey. We're all to be in fellowship. These are givens that every person needs to do to grow in relation to God. But how you do those or which ones you might emphasize maybe at a greater level will be dependent on your spiritual DNA. That's what I'm saying, okay? 
So, for example, if, if, if your love language is not the intellectual one that I'll get to at the end, that doesn't give you a, a, a card to not be in the Word, <laughs> okay? We're all to be in the Word, we're all to be in prayer, we're all to be in fellowship, we're all to be obedient, and we're all to be in, in, in connecting with others, we're all to worship, but you are going to gravitate more toward about three of these probably. Number one is nature. Romans 1 says that God displays his incredible attributes through what he created. This is a person that loves to be outside. They feel closer to God when they're outside. John the Baptist was probably this. He lived in the wilderness and ate locusts and wild honey. This is one of my love languages right there. Number two, worship. Let me rejoice. This is probably King David. You you really connect to God, especially through worship listening to worship music. You feel the presence of God many times, maybe more than others, in worship. I remember one time, the first time I ever listened to the song um, of the blessing, sitting out by my fire pit, put it on my phone because we were going to do it that Sunday. I'd never heard it before. I mean, I felt shivers go through my body for like 15 minutes. I've never had an experience like that ever since then. I said, whoa, this song is like, I call it stinking anointed. That's probably not a good phrase, but it's just like the presence of God was all over that. Number three, quality time. Let me get alone with God. This is the person that just loves to be alone, maybe more the introvert, just being still, knowing that he is God. Just being alone with God's enough. Doesn't matter where they are. Number four, art. Let me create. Let me reflect. This is the person that's just more artistic, where a poem or a picture, or a song, or a painting. They love to even create art, but they can be moved deeply by various forms of, of artistic creativity. In the Old Testament temple, there was ornate decorations to that. Number five, acts of service, let me care. This is the person that when they serve and they care and they're in fellowship with others, often that's when they feel the closeness to God. They say, man, when I came to that day of service or when I do this at church and serve, I just feel God's love on me. And this would maybe be the women who traveled with Jesus. Number six, kingdom causes. Now listen to this one. This is interesting. This one I would not have gotten if it wasn't for Sacred Pathways. Thank you, Brooks. Let me conquer. This is the person who's a real defender of truth and justice. They love to be active for godly causes. They feel God's love when they're on the front lines of certain issues, sometimes even when they're under attack. They feel the love of God because they know they're serving Him faithfully. I think Peter might have been this. (laughs) Number seven, the body of Christ. Again, this is maybe more the extrovert. They love fellowship. They, They feel God's love when they're around God's people. They love to be in connection and in community. I think Barnabas, the son of encouragement, was probably this. Number eight, physical touch. Let me feel. Now, I gotta be careful here, okay, because we walk by faith, not by sight. Jesus says that blessed are those who believe and don't see. So it's not saying that you only believe God loves you if you feel it. That's not what I'm saying. But these are people that tend to connect with God in this way just this week. I had two people, one a woman, one a man, who said to me, much like Lucia said, that they had a time in their life when they were under incredible pressure, incredible difficulty, and they literally felt the arms of God around them. I've never had that experience. Does that mean he loves me less? No. And then I love what Dustin gave me this week. He said, Jack Deere prays this prayer every day. He's a former Hebrew professor at Dallas Seminary. Lord, let me feel your affection for me today. Wow. 
Praise that every day. Lord, let me feel your affection for me today. So this is physical touch. Number nine, gifts. Let me experience. Again, we got to be careful here. Got to have balance. You don't live for experiences, but Jesus did heal people. And God at times does bring an experience of his love, especially in places of desperation. This may be a prophetic word. It could be a tangible gift from the Lord. It could be like Deborah shared, provision. Yesterday or on our work day here, I'm fellowshipping with a brother who's new to our church, and he says that God recently showed him his love by providing a job for him. And number 10, words of affirmation. This is let me think. This is maybe the more intellectual person. They love to read. They love to study theology. They love to dig deep. Yes, that's one of mine. Uh, This is the Apostle Paul, I believe. So now I want you to look at this list. And I want you to just take a moment and circle two or three or four that you particularly connect with. You would say that's a part of my spiritual DNA. Just circle those. And the reason I want you to identify that is because become more intentional to build that into the rhythm of your walk with God. Like I love to spend time with God outside. I I have a hard time just kneeling and praying for very long. Maybe you can relate to that. But I go on a prayer walk. I put some some prayer requests on a three-by-five card. I go on a walk. I pray as I'm walking, talking out loud, praying in the Spirit sometimes. Man, that I, I just do better in prayer in that atmosphere because one of my spiritual love languages is nature. Okay? So again, identify what yours are. Work it into the rhythm of your walk with God and see if it doesn't help you keep yourselves in the love of God. All right, final point. Allow sin and failure to magnify the cross. Again, I need to make a disclaimer here. I am in no way encouraging you to sin. (laughs) I am in no way encouraging you to live an unholy life. You guys know me better than that. We are called to holiness. At the same time, the Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 1 John 1 says, if you say you're without sin, you deceive yourselves and the truth is not in us. So we will fall short. We will sin. Romans 5 verse 20 says, where sin abounds, grace all the more. Then in 6.1 it says, then shall we sin that grace may increase? May it never be. So this is not a license to sin. It's just a practical way to help you when you sin, when you fall short. And watch this diagram. You're going to want to take a picture of it because I've seen this help a lot of people. It's a wonderful thing to share with people that you're discipling. Here's how it works. The cross is when you get saved. After you get saved, doesn't this often happen? You become more aware of God's holiness. Well, with that means you become more aware of your flesh and sin. Before you got saved, you knew sleeping with your girlfriend was wrong. But once you get saved, now you have a lustful thought and you're convicted of that. And you're thinking, I thought I was supposed to get better. I'm getting worse. <laughs> Can you relate? I knew that murder and killing somebody was a sin. Then I get saved and I, I'm convicted by the Sermon on the Mount that being angry in my heart towards somebody is just like murder. I'm like, ah, this ain't working very well. <laughs> feel like I'm doing worse. I'm trying to seek God. I love God. I want to please God. I want to live holy. And then I'm getting like convicted all the time. If you 
allow that to do what Satan would want. Look at that. Despair. Because Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He condemns you day and night. And yet Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation, shame, guilt is of the enemy. Conviction that leads to encouragement and forgiveness is of God. So here's the way you handle the deeper awareness of your sin. Watch this. Every time you become aware of an area you fall short of the holiness of God, let it drive you to the cross. Let it drive you to Jesus. Let it drive you to the blood so that you say, yes, I've sinned. Yes, I fall short. But Christ, you paid for it. Jesus, you shed your blood for it. And the gospel becomes bigger and more glorious every time you take that sin, you take that shortcoming, and you body slam it at the cross. And then the glorious gospel gets more and more sweet, and you love God more, and it drives you to Jesus more and more. And what does that lead to? Hope. Hope and encouragement. So let me show you the difference between Satan's condemnation and God's correction. Satan's condemnation, it's general, it's vague, it's you're an idiot, you'll never amount to anything. You do all these terrible things, it attacks your identity. Not only did you sin, you're an idiot, you're a loser, you're a terrible Christian, and it leads to despair. But when the Holy Spirit reveals things to us that are not in line with God's will, it's specific. Yes, David, you spoke unkindly to your wife. You need to go and ask her forgiveness and I've already forgiven you for that. But when God does that, he doesn't attack your identity. He doesn't say, David, you're an idiot. You blew it. He says, David, you spoke unkind to your wife, but I still love you. You're still my boy. You're my son. I'm still proud of you because I know you love me. That's the voice of God. And that leads to hope. You see the difference? And some of you, and this goes right back to point six about identify those lies. Identify those things that the enemy wants to bring against you to discourage you. All right, let's take a few questions. If you have a question, raise your hand. A mic will be brought to you, or you can text it in. Any questions that you have? Clarification? Keeping yourselves in the love of God. Knowing the truth of His love. Praying for a revelation of His love. Accepting by faith what God's Word says. Working through issues in your past. Accepting forgiveness for your sin. Rejecting lies. Learning your spiritual love language. And allowing sin and failure or the flesh to draw you to the glorious gospel of Jesus. Because that's the greatest demonstration of his love right there. His shed blood. His love for you. His paying the full redemptive penalty for your sin. Oh, good question. Wow. Thank you. Whoever sent this. If, oh, love this question. This came up in a podcast I was watching or listening to this week. If we're already forgiven for our future sins, what's the point of asking forgiveness? Great question. You don't ask forgiveness. You claim the forgiveness you already have. 
Confession, the word is homologeo, it means to agree with God. Confession is agreeing with God of sin in your life. You don't ask his forgiveness because it's already forgiven. You simply say, thank you, God, that that was paid for at the cross, that you've already forgiven me. Now empower me to live holy from this moment forward. Okay? Great question. Worship team, come on up so you're ready, please. Anything else? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, I have a 14-year-old granddaughter. And um, she cuts on herself because she can't feel anything. Say that again. I'm sorry. She cuts on herself because she doesn't feel anything. And she doesn't want to hurt others. So she hurts herself. And... I'm trying to do better about understanding understanding how I can help her feel better. She a believer? I'm sorry. Is what? she a believer? She's given her life no. to Jesus. She's not. No. All right, then share the gospel. Yeah. I'm unbelievers, listen, unbelievers should feel horrible about their sin. That's called the conviction of the Spirit to lead them to the the cross. And so if she's if she's struggling, that could be God's that could be good because it may be God's way of drawing her to salvation. And I just say, man, just 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 continue to reinforce the gospel. How much God loves her, that he died for everything she's ever done wrong, and that she can be forgiven and accepted in him. Yeah, she really hates me and I'm taking her today to an alternative um church okay and uh, where it's based on young kids with problems and so i'm i'm trying to do that for her today this is the first time we've gone out in over a year together and alone mm. so um i'm going to capitalize on that yeah thank you for yeah. your sermon today yeah. would you be willing to get some prayer for that right now all right, with, some, with just maybe two, three folks, um, just pray for Rita right now. Good, 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 good. Amen. Anybody else? We have time for one more. Okay, let me, let me bring the mics back up unless there's anybody else in the room, and I'll handle I got one. I got a couple on text here. Um, how do we not live in legalism... But not, but not allow others to influence us into sin. That's so good. We're going to kind of address this next week because next week we're going to deal with verses 22 and 23 where it talks about snatch people from the fire. We'll talk about judgment. And then it talks about don't even allow your garments to be stained by sin. So we'll talk about holiness. And I'll talk next week more about not, not having a, a call to holiness lead to legalism. Listen, here's the key. The legalism is seeking to obey God to get favor from God or to get better standing with God. That's when you do rules, do do's and don'ts. You, you fall into this do's and don'ts trap 
thinking that if I do it, then God's going to love me. If I don't, then he's not going to love me. And I I often do those things to look good before others. It's usually a self-righteous, pharisaical approach to relationship with God. And so, but, but it doesn't mean that we're not to live holy. We are to live holy. The key is motive. The key is an understanding of who God is and who you are in Christ. It's grace that leads to holiness. It's love that leads to obedience, not this fear of being punished or fear of God rejecting me. Now, an unbeliever should fear that. An unbeliever should fear being judged. Absolutely. We'll talk about that next week too. But a believer should be in a relationship with God where they know his love, know their identity, know their righteousness, and that motivate the holiness so that they're not doing the obedience to get something they already have. Did you get that? Legalism from a believer is seeking to obey to get something you already have. You already have his love. You already have his acceptance. You already have the righteousness of Jesus. Therefore, that should motivate you to want to live to please the one who did all that for you. Amen. All right, let's go to prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for your great love. Thank you for your presence today, God. Welcome your presence. Holy Spirit, we just say come. Begin to settle on those that really need to taste and see that you are good, maybe in a new way. Listen, if you're here today and you say, I want to experience God's love at a deeper level, I'm going to invite you to stand. I want to pray for you. You say, I want to experience God's love at a deeper level need to taste and see that the Lord is good. I want to go deeper. I want to really apply this verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Wow, all over the room. Love this. Pray for you and just maybe feel free some of you that are near some of those standing to just lay your hands on them if you feel led just to go and put your hands on those that are standing just to reinforce this prayer now. Yes, yes. Open the, I encourage you to open your hands, open your palms, just have your palms facing upward as a, as a symbol of, of just receiving and being open and drinking from the well of God's liquid love. Oh God, I pray right now that these who, who, who are standing would drink from the well of your liquid love. Lord, we ask you in Jesus' name to just come now and pour out your liquid love, pour out your grace. God, I pray for a revelation of your love. I pray Ephesians 3, that they would grasp the height, depth, width, and length of your love. It surpasses knowledge, God, so it's not just a knowledge thing. It's got to go deeper, and I pray it would go deeper. Even right now, Lord, even right now in this place, maybe bring something to their mind, help them see something they've never seen, give them a verse that they can hold on to, maybe show them some steps they need to take. Lord, just take what we've talked about and seal it in their heart, mind, and in their spirit, Lord. In Jesus' name, Father, I pray that you would just pour out your love now. Oh, God, that you bring a revelation, an impartation of your great love, God. Your great love, God. Your great love, God. Show them, Lord. Show them deep, deep, deep. Lord, come in a deep way. open right now. Just receive. Just be in a mode of receiving. Say, God, I receive. Something may come right now. It may come later. 
That's the Lord's doing. The Bible says if you seek him with all your heart, he will let you find him. 